Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Telling you, bro. What's been happening, bro? Uh, not too much. Still hitting more peggy Hey everybody, welcome back. You're listening to the gorgeous sounds of Mr. Adam Levy, a track called Blueberry Blonde off of his new record, Blueberry Blonde, featuring drummer Jay Belarose. Finesse, feel, restraint, and taste. That's what I think of when I hear Adam play. He's probably best known for being a member of Nora Jones's band in the late 90s, early 2000s, but he's also done tons of other high-profile gigs. Like playing with Tracy Chapman. Remember, Give Me One Reason to Leave Here? Yep, that's him playing the guitar solo on that. Dan Hicks, Amos Lee, bunch of people. But it's his own solo material that's the most inspiring to me. He's not content with putting all of his eggs into the oftentimes tempting and lucrative sideman basket. He's consistently put out all of his own records. I mean, it's, I think he's got 16 solo records, which is amazing now. He also teaches, he's the chair of guitar performance at Los Angeles College of Music. And if that's not enough, he also posts a weekly guitar tips mini lesson on YouTube. We'll talk about all that. In this interview, we we play a few tunes, we play some standards, we talk about guitar players, his uh, how he hooked up with Nora, note choices, Jim Hall influences, and I really learned a lot on this one, actually, listening back to it. Adam also studied with Ted Green. We didn't get a chance to discuss that, but um, we talk about Jimmy Weibel, who's another obscure guitar player who he studied with. Adam's got some great ideas, um, analogies he uses to teach. Gotta admit, it was a late night the night before. I played at the Staples Center Hall & Oates. Woke up sort of groggy. Took an Uber over to Adam's friend Tyler Chester's place called Paper Chaser in Glassville Park, Los Angeles. Very cool place. Plugged into an old Fender Champ. Adam's plugged into a converted Bell & Howell film projector, now amp. For you audiophiles out there, Adam's guitar is in left and I am in right. So make sure your ear thingies are L and R and you'll be instantly transported to that morning with us. And I hope you enjoy. I was playing the other day, Bluesette. You know Bluesette? Oh, yeah, sure. I Maybe we played do like a real yeah. rubato version of uh-huh. it. Uh-huh. Right, we're in G. It's nice, right? That's so it's nice. It's such a nice melody. Okay, well... Are we rolling? Always rolling. Always rolling. All right. Well, uh, 
I got that melody, man. It's hard to. We're like um, two Starbucks sips in, and I'm trying to play Blues Ed in LA at 10 o'clock in the morning. After uh, that's a hell of a change from Staples Center last night. But that's not on the set list. No, it's not on the set list. But a really beautiful way to start the day. Yeah. You know, it's good to see you, man. Good to see you. So I'm sitting here in, uh, where are we? We're in L.A., but specifically. This is Eagle called Rock? Glassell Park. Glassell Park. Yeah. It's kind of the underbelly of Eagle Rock. Well, I'm here with my friend, old friend, Adam Levy, and assisted uh, skillfully by his friend Tyler in beautiful studio. Man, where what is this studio? i got to give props now. Cause uh, it's called Paper Chasers. Paper Chaser. This will definitely go down as the best-sounding episode of Riff Raff. <laughs> Nothing to do with me. But this is a really hip place, man. Got to take a picture of this place. Yeah. But anyway, I want to hear about everything you've been up to, which I know is a lot, man. It has been a lot. Uh, let's see, where should I start? Well, let's just we'll tell the listeners how we met. I, I was telling Tyler, I, I think we actually met on the phone because you called me one day when you were working with Guitar Player. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, was it Grease Factor? Which record was it? I think it was some lessons, or maybe I don't. Okay. You found the lesson. You oh, were the... right. Yeah. So that's right. So I kind of okay. I got kind of grandfathered into being the lessons guy at Guitar Player Magazine. Um, right. Uh, okay. You can you can fact check me on this, but this is how I remember it. Now. <laughs> when you said that, that really jogged mm-hmm. it. So I. I started writing for guitar player as a freelancer in the mid nineties. And then around 96 or something, 97, maybe they had a, a kind of a change over there. And, uh, I, they 
called me up and they said, hey, we might be looking for like a full-time lessons guy here at the magazine. Is that something you'd be interested in? I'd never had any kind of job like that where it was like, you know, five days a week, kind of nine to five. I'm sure for most people that's normal, but for people like you and me, that's like, yeah, what are right you talking now. about? <laughs> um, Every day, nine to five? Really? Like, is that... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I, I, long story short, I said yes, and then I inherited this file cabinet full of lessons that people had sent in over over the years. Uh, I mean, not over the years, recently, yeah, like recent things. It wasn't like they were written on parchment paper in hieroglyphics or something. Um, and uh, I think I found your name on a lesson, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I probably had some questions about you know the specific stuff of it. And uh, so maybe that's how we started. That's how we started, and then you moved to New Orleans. That's right, yeah. In around 2005, I was touring with Nora Jones, and I knew we were going to have probably a year off between any real substantial work, and I was ready to get out of New York and slow down a little bit. I didn't know how much I'd be slowing down, uh, but I slowed down a lot, and uh, we got to hang out, and... um, and I was, yeah, that's when we got to know each other yeah. in person. Man, and, and even before that, I was, I remember this the other day. I wanted to, I don't know if you remember this, but I remember you calling me once and saying, uh, you were like, hey, man, I, I got to ask you, I got this situation. I want to see, because I was working with the Neville brothers and you, you were saying, you know, how does it work if like they schedule gigs and they cancel the gigs, and you've already put them in your book. Like, how do, yeah. you know how how would you handle that? Because I'm right. working with this girl, and you know <laughs> I've been doing showcases, and I think she's gonna make a record. And you know I'm just trying to deal with the management, and you know what what should I do? Should I ask? You know I remember you asking me this, and right. then like six months later, Nora Jones's record comes out. <laughs> <laughs> it was Nora Jones. You know, wow. I don't know if you remember that, but um, yeah, that that turned into a. That little record, yeah. That little uh, that little gig you had for a while, yeah. It's funny. People will remind me about about around that time. When I, so when I met Nora, I met her in the around two thousand, and she she had no she wasn't signed. She had no management. She she hadn't even when I met her she hadn't even officially dropped out of. She was going to to North Texas studying jazz piano, and when I met her, she was still like planning to get her degree in jazz piano and finish up. So. I think when people hear that I played with Nora Jones, they expect that like I auditioned or like maybe my manager played golf with her lawyer or whatever. <laughs> but it was like totally not like that at all. She was—I don't even think she was twenty yet when I met her. And um, uh, so, even though like you and I are, I think about the same age, you started playing like actual professional. You had way more like real touring experience under your belt. Uh, way before I did, I was kind of a late bloomer. Like the first real gig I had that people would know about, I guess. I mean, I played with Dan Hicks for like a minute in the in the early nineties. Dan when I was Hicks living. and his hot licks. Yeah, he so he had this side band called Dan Hicks and the Acoustic Warriors, which oh, was wow. a little bit more like a portable thing. Hot Licks was like a big group with mm-hmm. uh, these two gals who sang these incredible kind of uh, harmonies, kind of nineteen forties style harmonies. But that was a big group and a lot of personalities. And so Dan wanted to have this kind of lean and mean group that he could take out that was just a four-piece. And I was part of that for a little while in, in like, 93, 94. So I guess I might have done some gigs that people saw at that time. I know I played at, what was that place in New York? That was, like, the the Lone Star or I, That was before my time, okay. but I've heard of yeah. it, of course. Yeah, yeah. I've heard so, about it. Yeah, so I played there with him and with Dan, and I played on... Um, 
Prairie Home Companion, you know, back in the Garrison Keillor days of that show with Dan. So people might have heard me then. But the first gig that maybe was like on the radio that people heard me doing was with Tracy Chapman. And that was right. like 95. And I didn't stay on that gig really long. And I'm, and I was, I guess, in looking back, I've always been a little skittish. But so I did that for like a year in '95. But and, wait, wait, you got to interject at a pretty important point. You played the solo on. Uh, oh, and give me one reason. On give yeah. me one reason. That's right. you playing that guitar solo. That's right. So yeah. that's me playing. Give me one reason. Uh, on on Tracy Cha- on Tracy Chapman's uh, record. I played the solo, and it was—it's all live. I mean, that's mm-hmm. just like a live in the studio band take. And where'd you guys cut that? It was at a place called the Site up in Northern California, mm-hmm. kind of near like where George Lucas has all his stuff up there. Skywalker Ranch. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. like kind of like down the street from Skywalker Ranch. And um, at that time when we cut that record there, I guess like Pearl Jam had just been in there making. Well, I don't know what record would have come out around them, but like a bunch of bands that w- were big. It was like my first real studio mm-hmm. gig. I mean, I was already like almost 30. That's why I'm saying like I, a bit of a late bloomer. By the time you were 30, I'm sure you had already like been on a bunch of records and been on tour buses know, and stuff. Not a bunch, but I've done some things. Yeah, yeah. but not a, I wouldn't say a bunch. Yeah. I mean, you don't really, to me, man, you don't really get seasoned until you get, I don't know if that's true. Because then look at, I don't know. Forget what I said. Because <laughs> you look at Brian Wilson, you have pet okay. sounds. This is right. done. He was like right. 26. <laughs> right, right. So, but it's it's different. It's different for everybody. It's different right? for yeah. everybody. It's different for everybody. And and the thing is, I mean, I I I was never going to be Brian Wilson, and I am never going to be Brian Wilson. But you know, I wanted to have road chops and and experience and stuff. But at the same time, I was always a little bit skittish about going all in as a sideman you know even mm-hmm. even though I, th- I thought that's what I wanted to do I, I would get involved and be like nah I don't know because 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 of stuff with management and all, all a lot of drama that you that you don't expect and then like all of a sudden there's all this drama so I was with Dan Hicks for about a year and then I was with Tracy for about a year and then I I was doing some sideman stuff around the Bay Area, but basically was kind of doing my own thing. And then when I met, so when I met Nora in around 2000, I didn't expect it was going to become what it became. I really thought it was going to be like brunch gigs and, you know, because that's how we started. The first gig she called me for was just a little nondescript background music gig. I'm playing standards, really. There's no, there's no come away with me or anything like that. Love me tender, love me sweet, never So, I'm sure when that stuff started to bubble up, I mean, I thought of you as like, you know, a really professional guitar player who I knew in my circle of friends. And so I'm, I'm sure that wasn't the only time I called to ask your advice for stuff. Cause well, I just not really, even I remember, but we were, we were hanging back then. I remember. Yeah. 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 It's just, that's the stuff that is just, you don't know until you're in situations like in music right. school, like they tell you what scales to play and maybe you take some business classes. So you know what like a contract looks like or, or maybe. And, but like those kind of things where you're having to figure out, you know, what to do when somebody cancels on you or what to do 
when you play with a couple of artists and suddenly like their schedules conflict right. and um and I guess that's always true even if you're just playing bar gigs and and coffee shops and stuff but just the stakes are a lot higher when you get to touring because if if you can't make the gig at the coffee shop it's probably somebody else can but if you can't make the gig at the Staples Center that's a that's a lot more uh, uh it's a lot more complicated I always liked the fact that you moved to New Orleans and, and I remember you had you had a solo guitar gig within like hmm. a month of living there yeah. at the Columns Hotel. That's you know, right. you're like, yeah, I'm playing. So it's like, wow, man, that's great. <laughs> you use a lot of balls to do that. You know, I don't I don't have those kind of balls. So that was really cool. Wow. And I remember we went to Tips one time to hear Sco and Right. Oh, the Uber Jam the band, Uber Jam. Right? We went with, yeah, with Adam Deitch. You the... you hooked it up actually. We wow. went mm-hmm. we hung out. Wow. Man, you have an incredible memory. I, I remember things like that. I don't remember day-to-day useful bits that I need to know, like <laughs> times and things like that. But but that's right. Yeah, that was the first time I saw Uber Jam. Me and, too. And might have been, now that I think of it, might have been the first time I ever saw Schofield play live. And uh, man, I mean, I've been a fan of his since I was like thirteen. Yeah, so that was. I wow. remember. I remember talking. You were talking to him, and he's like, "Yeah, this is uh, Adam Levy plays with Nora Jones." And I was like, "Wow, man, <laughs> Schofield knows who Adam is." Wow. <laughs> I remember thinking that, like, man, this cat. <laughs> yeah. Sweetie, he he told me uh, He told me a funny story that night about um, oh, earlier on. I guess he was hanging out in New Orleans. This this might have been in the eighties or something, and. And Albert, he saw that Albert King was going to play at Tips, and Albert King's bus pulls up, <laughs> and uh, Schofield's so excited because he loves Albert King, mm-hmm. and like he just ran to the door, and when the bus door opened, he just like jumped on the bus, oh, wow. and he's like, "Oh man, Albert, I dig you so much!" And like Albert King, like pulled a pistol on, he's like, <laughs> "What do you get off my bus? I don't know you. I don't know you." Yeah. <laughs> So old oh, school, man. you know. Yeah. The bass player for the Neville Brothers, Nick Daniels, he plays in this band, Dumpster Funk. Man, back in the early 2000s, we are on Sunset Boulevard out here in Hollywood, and we're walking up Sunset towards Guitar Center. Guitar yeah. Center's on the far right. Sure. And he sees this port, this Porsche is pulled over, and this real tall, skinny dude walks out, and, and Nick goes, Shane, bro, that's, St- that's Stanley Clark. Oh, wow. That's Stanley Clark, man. And that's like his god. So right. Nick just starts running towards oh, no. him. And he goes, Stanley, Stanley, Stanley. So Stanley Clark finally hears him. He turns around. He sees Nick, and he runs in his car and <laughs> hauls ass. Like, <laughs> that was the greatest shit ever. Yeah. Oh, man. Stanley. Yeah, you know, you got to be careful sometimes. But anyway. <laughs> you're you're such a beautiful player, man. And oh. the thing I always liked about your playing is I, I've never heard you waste a note. Mm. You know, you're you're like a, a master of not not economy like in a um, pretentious kind of thing. I think you really that's the way you feel stuff. You know, because mm. some cats will just be like, I'm only going to say the most with one note and like really well i didn't get anything <laughs> you know but right. you really have this thing man where mm. it's like every note really says something you know mm. wow well thank you how did you
I, I know you were like a Bill Frizzell fan. I remember you turned me on a couple of those records. But for sure, are there any other players like I, I don't know Jim Hall, those kind of cats you listen to? Or? Yeah. Uh, well, let's see. I I went through. I've gone through a bunch of phases of stuff. That, I mean, back back when I was uh, when everything was vinyls, and I guess vinyls back again. But in when I was younger, and and that's the only way you could really get stuff. Um, I I, w- I found Jim Hall somehow. I think I, I before that I was super into Bill Evans, the piano mm, player, mm-hmm. and so I was like developing my Bill Evans collection. I had all these uh, LPs from different eras of, of Bill Evans and I stumbled onto Jim Hall really because he had made a record with with Bill Evans called Undercurrent mm. which is the two of them and they the on there there's this version of My Funny Valentine that everybody always plays as a ballad it is a ballad and they do this just blazing up tempo thing that where you really feel the time even though there's no rhythm section on the record it's just piano and guitar wow i've never heard that and it's, check it out you should check it out and it's so cooking and um, so that was, I, that was probably the first Jim Hall record that I heard. And then I didn't do the deep dive for a while, but the, probably the next record I got into um, was uh, a live, no, was probably the Sonny Rollins record, The Bridge. Oh, yeah. yeah. But his playing on those two, two records is pretty different, especially, well, the thing about Jim Hall, right, is like people always talk about the lyricism and um he, the use of space and also like development like he, if he plays an idea even if it's not the best idea he'll work it to death like mm-hmm. he'll he'll make a beautiful suit out of a pretty average piece of fabric mm-hmm. sometimes i mean sometimes he ha- he comes up with beautiful pieces of fabric too but i think the thing that struck me is like when you listen to some you know not so great players um if they play an idea that doesn't knock you out mm-hmm. or knock themselves out, they'll like abandon it immediately and just try to find something else that's just like cooler. That's just really from their skill set, from their right. lick bag. And Jim Hall would like play something, and in the moment you go like, "Okay, that's interesting. I wonder what he's going to do next." And instead of like, you know, dipping into his trick bag, he's like, okay, here's a really average thing. He's like, he went to the grocery store and they didn't have really choice cuts of meat or, or any beautiful vegetables. And somehow he makes this beautiful meal out mm-hmm. of kind of just normal run of the mill things. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's the thing that struck me about him. But also people talk about his lyricism, but man, he could really burn sometimes, you know, that he really played legato like that. So my funny Valentine is an example of his really up-tempo playing. And there's a tune on, on that Sonny Rollins record, the bridge that I can't think of right now, but it's pretty up-tempo. It might be called, uh, it's either the song, the bridge, or it might be this song, John S. It starts out with like this funny, da, 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 da. Do, 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 do. You, you just listen to it and you're like wow what's happening here mm-hmm. I never heard anything like I, I got it when I was a teenager and um, all of a sudden the rhythm section kicks in and it's so fast and the way that he could play at fast tempos was really inspiring to me because I never could figure out how to like really play fast as far as like down up picking mm-hmm. <laughs> 
kid and like into rock and, and I guess fusion-y stuff I would see somebody like Steve Morris who I saw play many times I was like I have no idea how anybody could ever do that yeah, even if you practice all the time extreme, yeah. and then I got to see Holdsworth and growing up in LA like everybody would come through so there there was this club called um, the Country Club in Reseda and it was all ages so I could go see shows when I was like 16 there so I saw IOU, you know, wow, yeah. with, uh, what, did with he she, have the, the singer with the, like the little polo shirt with the tiger on it? Um, Remember that video? The I Japanese do. Video? Yeah. <laughs> if, if he had it, I've blocked Paul, it from my his memory. His name's Paul Williams. I yeah, think. it yeah. is Paul Williams. Yeah. If he had Paul Williams, it's blocked from my memory. I remember it being an instrumental gig, but I saw the Steve Morse band there when, um, when his first solo record came out and I saw IOU and so I like those are two really extreme different guys from the kind of rock to to fusion thing like Steve Morse picks everything and Alan Holdsworth picks nothing yeah and then I heard Jim Hall and it kind of spoke to me because he it wasn't all legato and it wasn't all picking but he he found a way to really make the guitar swing by picking some things and slurring some things and so that really grabbed me and then other other guys that I've loved I mean just to your point about trying to, to not to not to do it with too many notes but also not to be overly precious and mm-hmm. like here's my one perfect note. right like, right I, I hate that shit too um over the I mean I remember I took a lesson with this guy Jeff Richmond did you mm-hmm. ever meet Jeff I know who he is, sure, yeah, he lives out here. Yeah, he lives here. Like, so this is when I was, like, probably 18 or 19, and I I was already going to music school. I was going to Dick Grove and learning all the mechanics of the guitar, and he's like, have you ever checked out Chet Baker? And I was like, no. Does he play guitar? He's like, no, he doesn't play guitar. He's a trumpet (laughs) player. And um, so he he pointed me, funny enough, to a Jim Hall record that Chet Baker played on. Mm. Uh, There's a Jim Hall record called Concierto. And uh, there's a, and I'm going to blank out on the tune, but um, Chet Baker's on there and Paul Desmond is on there. And they, his Chet Baker solo was what Jeff Richmond assigned me to learn. I had to, maybe he had a transcription or I had to transcribe it myself. I don't remember, but um, it was really eye opening. Like Chet Baker's thing is so melodic and, um, that thing like the old guys always say about like if you're going to play standards learn the melody it's like when you hear somebody who's 60 say that and you're 18 you think like thanks grandpa you yeah. know i'm just going to learn this other stuff that you're supposed to play but it's so true man but it's so true and chet baker like was perfect example of that like and even though nobody's i didn't ever meet chet baker and he if i did that's probably wasn't wouldn't be what he said but that's what he said to me through that solo when I listened to it. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, the melody. I was thinking about this the other day. Do you remember those posters that were really popular like 20 years ago that just looked like a bunch of psychedelic dots? And if you stare at it yeah. long enough, all of a sudden there's like this 3D sure, yeah. thing like, oh, it's a dolphin. And McLaughlin did a cover on one of his records. Remember oh, John no. McLaughlin? Yeah, it's one of his solo records. Had. It's called Now You See It, Now You Don't. And it's the, that thing you're oh, talking about. Wow. No, I got to check mm-hmm. that out. And I feel like the melodies of standard tunes are kind of like that. When you're young and you, you hear these melodies, you kind of go like, 
yeah, whatever, man. It's just a bunch of dots, you know. But, like, if you stare at it long enough, all of a sudden this other thing is, like, the shape of the tune is, the melody is the shape of the tune. It's not the changes. It's not right. anything else. It's it's that. But you don't get it at first. You have to, like, relax into it and just kind of, like, look at it. Yeah. Guitar tips thing is very hip, mm. and you talk about these sort of subjects, and and I like the way you uh, condense these sort of things into little YouTube clips. I mean, it's a gold mine for people wanting to uh, to you know be able to pick your brain. I mean, that's like we I, we didn't have stuff like that. We were learning, you know, somebody <laughs> no. Adam Levy or somebody telling you stuff for free every week. Yeah, you know, and what gave you the idea for that? Um, that's a good question. And it's in. Sorry to interrupt, but guitar tips. If you, I'm sure if you've tuned in, you know because Adam. But it, he posts. Was it every week? He posts week, a yeah. guitar tip, a subject, and mm-hmm. you, uh, you talk uh, what five, ten minutes, and mm-hmm. it's always some useful thing, and you demonstrate. And the unique thing about it is you always, you do, you have your own little theme song, and you always do a different version or reharm. Or, yeah. It's really cool. <laughs> yeah. So check that out if oh, you thanks. don't already know about it. But yeah. So so sorry. So what gave you the idea though? too well man um well okay so when i first moved back to la so i can't remember if we did the whole geography thing but i've moved around a bunch like so after we met in new orleans and hung in new orleans um i moved back to new york for a little while and yada yada and then about four or five years ago i moved back to la and when i first moved back here i wasn't doing anything i still had a, a a really good paying gig in New York. So like for the first nine or 10 months I was living in LA, I was barely here. I was just always at the airport flying back and doing gigs and whatever. And after almost a year of that, I was like, you know what, if I'm going to live in LA, I have to really root down and actually let go of things in New York and, and be here, be on the scene, go out to hear mm-hmm. meet live music, meet people, do stuff. And in the meantime, the phone wasn't ringing that much, and I didn't have a Columns Hotel gig to go to on Sundays. So mm-hmm. I was just really looking for a project. And I read this book about was this book. I read a book about wealth. I was trying to figure out how to be wealthy. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things that he advised in the book, the author was like, do something every on a regular basis. Like, I don't know if he said every week, but do something on a regular basis for your community for free. And I couldn't quite figure out how that was going to manifest as any kind of wealth, but it seemed like a cool thing to do. And I already did know the value of doing a weekly thing from doing weekly solo gigs. I had a weekly solo gig when I lived in San Francisco. I had a weekly solo gig when I lived in New Orleans. There's that thing of this unbreakable chain where like every week, you do this thing and if you look at your calendar and you make a mark on it there's this like unbreakable chain some people do something every day oh I'm gonna do my exercise routine every day or I'm gonna eat this 
particular diet or or whatever. So I knew that there was power in in having an unbroken chain of things. And since I wasn't working that much and I wasn't even really teaching that much, I was kind of like hiding in plain sight in LA. I thought, I know what I could do. I could make instructional just little bits. I was also inspired. Jim Jim Campolongo actually for a little while had a column in maybe Premier Guitar, I forget, where he was doing a lot of guitar tips. And this is a long answer, but um also I remember there was that Mick Goodrick book, The Advancing Guitarist. Mm-hmm. Did you read that sure, book? Sure, right? yeah. So there's all the kind of meat and potatoes stuff, but then at the back, just like the last four or five yeah, pages are just that's these really a lifetime of stuff. Right. Yeah. So there was just all these little short things, like two or three sentences that like really stick with you about, you know, not regretting things and just, just really f- cool philosophical ideas about playing and being a musician with your life and all really condensed into little things. So somewhere between Jim Campolongo's like practical tips, like, hey, when you come home after the gig, don't put your guitar in the case in the corner. Take it out, put it on the stand. So tomorrow when you wake up, the guitar is just there looking at you. Mm. Like, don't hide it from yourself. Like, even if you live in a crappy little New York apartment that's 200 square feet, mm-hmm. don't tuck your guitar under the bed. When you get home, so that was like a really practical thing. And then Mick Goodrick's things were like really philosophical. So between those two guys and this and my own experience and between what I read in this book, all of that sort of manifested as guitar tips. So I did one and I didn't promote it. Like at that point I wasn't even on Facebook or any other social media. It wasn't, I wasn't trying to promote anything or sell anything. I just was like, it's almost like a practice for me to be able to pick my own brain. What did I wish somebody had told me when I was trying to figure this stuff out and try and be concise. Uh, you know, people aren't going to watch a two-hour YouTube video mm-hmm. about whatever, um, but they might watch something that's five or ten, or if it's interesting, maybe even fifteen minutes. And then the theme song thing—that was just to amuse myself. I started <laughs> out doing it kind of the same every week, and then little by little, I was like, "Oh, what if I do one that's like based on this Barney Kessel jazz thing?" Or <laughs> what if I do one that's based on the Rumble by Link Ray? Or yeah, what if I do a Zeppelin tune and just have some fun? It's to tickle myself, really, to be honest. Guitar tips, guitar tips, just the tips, just for you. Guitar Tips. Hello and welcome to Guitar Tips. My name is Adam Levy. I'm your host here. You know, you made me think of something. Didn't you tell me your grandfather wrote Gilligan's Island theme? That's right. Well, there you go. It's in your DNA, man. (laughs) That's, I don't know if you've ever said that before, but that's a pretty cool thing. Yeah. Everybody knows that. That tune. Man, if, yeah, I never thought of it that way. See, when I started doing the Guitar Tips theme, I didn't think of it as a theme song. I, again, my 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 only hope was to challenge myself to not have it be the same thing every week. Just mm-hmm. like, again, kind of almost a gag to tickle myself. And, but over you know what I've been doing it for like three years now it has become a theme and it is in my DNA yeah my grandfather wrote 
the theme song he co-wrote he wrote the musical part to the Gilligan's Island theme song Mm -hmm. so it's in yeah it's in there Play something else? Sure. It feels like uh, we both have, what are you playing there, a Gibson 335? Right. And I pulled something. I like got off stage and I said, man, I have to go see Adam tomorrow. So I, I just told my guitar tech, pack up a guitar. Mm. <laughs> so that's the wrong gig. So I have like this old 330 that's in a totally wrong gig bag with no padding. Right. It's I When I saw the case, so the for, since people can't see this, um, it's like, you know, a $39 gig bag that has some tape on it on the outside. Uh, this is Terrio Takamini. Actually, it says John Oates Takamini. Oh, John Oates Takamini. <laughs> yeah, so I just noticed that. Yeah, I was it's like, the okay, wrong bag. Okay, Shane, so you brought you brought John Oates Takamini. I won't tell him. But here you you pull this guitar out of the bag, and it's this gorgeous, I don't know, 58, 59. It's a 59, yeah. Uh, I, I kind of rescued this thing, man. It was battered. And, oh, man, it's but, incredible uh, looking. Wow. Yeah, it's just uh, I spent way too much money fixing it. I could have just right. bought one, but whatever. Yeah. But anyway, I was going to say, if you want to play something that feels... Uh, sure. Since we're playing these, man, it feels jazzy to me. Yeah. I don't know. You wanna, okay, sure. want to play another... We could play another tune. Yeah, let's I, do I it. I can try to embarrass myself on my own podcast <laughs> with Adam. <laughs> you know... Um, Thank mm-hmm. you. 
That's there. cool. I, I for, totally forgot about that. That's the real ending. Yeah. Right? It doesn't do that on the intro, does it? Uh, no, I don't think it's so. It's like one of five jazz standards I know, kind of. But um, No, man, you play so great. Oh, I actually I haven't heard you play much straight ahead. I, I don't play straight ahead, man. I, you know, yeah, it's, it's, not true. The evidence is there. <laughs> I mean, Hit I rewind. used to, but yeah. <laughs> it's, it's all there. Thank you. 
guitar lesson the other day in New York. I haven't done I haven't done that in 25 years, but wow. I'm sure he's a friend of yours, Adam Rogers. Because oh, my right hand technique, <laughs> I kind of screwed it up a couple of years ago. I was I was telling Sco about it because I I tried to go back to like index and middle and get you know so I could get that kind of pick every note thing. Yeah. But then in the meantime, when I'm like doing my actual gigs that I do to make money, you know, I can't, I can't do that on stage or a session. So it really messed up everything, man. And, uh, like told me to play just long notes. Oh, wow. Really long notes. Like, like to where it's painful to get through one scale. Mm -hmm. And it's so weird, but it actually helps me out a lot with like just playing. Everything's more even now. Huh. Because I didn't have shitty technique, but it's it's just a different thing. It's kind of like going to a chiropractor. Right. That's kind of why I went to to uh, to do it. But anyway, we were playing a bunch of tunes, and I don't, man, sit with somebody like him, and all right, that rhythm changes, you know. And then you're like, going, you know. So it's fun. Well, yeah, I just got his new record, Dice. Have you heard that? He gave it to me, yeah. I've been listening to it. It's oh, cool. Oh, man. It's like Hendrix um, like, that went to school or something. Yeah, exactly. It's a trip because I always think of Adam as a th- Adam Rogers as a 335 guy. And um, I'm sure he's played Strat on a bunch of sessions and stuff, but I don't, I don't think of him as a Strat guy. So it's interesting, and it's like it's so New York. Like, yeah, it's very New you York. You know, Wayne and Laney mm-hmm. and like... Like New York guitar trio, like you play mm-hmm. strats. It's funny. I I never grew up with them. I, every couple of years, I get a wild hair to like figure it out. I grew up in L.A. in a time when like the Kings were Larry Carlton and Lee Rittenauer, yeah. and they were all these kind of like session guys who were also you know artists and record covers. They always had three thirty fives, and I got into BB King, and he always had some kind of Gibson and. The only strats you'd see around L.A. when I was growing up weren't even strats. They were like these Valley Arts kind of overbuilt things with Floyd Rose tremolos mm-hmm. and EMGs. and Fancy active, headstocks. Fancy headstocks. Gold, a lot of gold. A lot of gold plating. Really overbuilt. And like now, I think what's cool about strats is if you can find one that doesn't weigh a ton and, and just breathes, you know. I mean, I don't know. I'm not enough of a strat guy, yeah. but course now you go around LA and there's like you got Mike Landau who's like maybe the strat guy mm-hmm. and um there's no shortage of them now but I, I never learned how to play them I got a 335 from my dad when I was 13 for my bar mitzvah he's lucky me he said you know what what do you want to get you know he i was already really serious he's like I'd love to support you what wow that's really nice yeah man. and at, at 12 and a half it's funny looking back. Most twelve and a half year olds wouldn't choose if they, if you could go to Guitar Center and just like pick something off the wall. You would probably wouldn't pick a Kramer Pacer, <laughs> a Floyd Rose, Ingve <laughs> Scallop neck, neck. Yeah, no, I, I picked what has become my voice, but it was really actually I, I was studying for a little bit with this guy Jimmy Weibel. Sure, man. I, I I don't know him, but I I remembered learning some of his. <laughs> those kind of oh yeah Woo. you know the two fives yeah, and all that yeah. i had a bunch of his etudes and yeah. stuff yeah I, I know who he is so he was a you mentioned my grandfather who wrote the gilligan's island theme song so he worked in tv a lot he didn't just sit around writing theme songs he actually like was a band leader and arranger 
and worked on a lot of TV shows that had live bands because he mm-hmm. did back then. So he he was the musical director on this show, the Flip Wilson show. People yeah, can check it out on sure. YouTube or whatever. And he always hired um, Jimmy Weibel was his guy because Jimmy Weibel could read anything. Like you could literally give him like a piano part or a full score. And he would look at it, and he would turn it into guitar music instantly. So my grandfather was like, that's the guy I'm going to hire because, you know, my grandfather was a legit musician, and, you know, guitar players kind of have a reputation for not being great readers or whatever. Jimmy Weibel was, besides being a really creative artist, was just super legit. You could put anything in front of him, and he could read it. He was that guy. So when I was 12, my grandfather asked Jimmy if he could maybe give me a couple lessons and mm. I was 12 like all I knew how to play was Beatles songs and he was teaching me those etudes yeah, and I was like that's fun when you're 12 <laughs> I was like I was like can't we just learn like you know out of nowhere revolver or something? Or something. yeah revolver yeah. so anyway um what was my oh shoot I was going somewhere with mentioning Jimmy oh I asked I didn't have a good guitar yet I just had this like crappy nylon string guitar and I asked Jimmy what I should get and he's like well you want to be a studio musician when you grow up? And I was like, yeah. He's like, you should try and get a ES-335 because you can really do anything mm-hmm. with it. You can play rock, jazz, country, blues, whatever. And so that, in as much as, you know, anything, that really informed me. And I remember I wrote to Norlin Industries, who at that time owned Gibson. I some I must have seen it in the back of Guitar Player. And so I wrote away, and they sent me a catalog. I wish oh, I still wow. had it. I had the 1979... Norlin Industries Gibson catalog with all these, you know, sexy. I mean, to me, this was like my first porn magazine was was the Gibson catalog, and I just I looked at those pictures over and over, and so I decided I really wanted um, ES three three five TD in this dark walnut finish, and sure, sure enough, can I swear? Yeah, hell okay. shit, yeah. Okay, Rocky, sure as shit. My dad came through, and on my bar mitzvah, I had a brand new 1979 ES-335 and a little Princeton amp with no reverb. And that was my rig for a long, you know, until I got my first, you know, MXR Distortion Plus or something. That oh, was I had one of those, too. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great. Yeah. You, do you have that guitar still? I still have that oh, guitar. Was, that's good. That's that, the, the good uh, ending to it because I was hoping you still had that. That's, yeah. It's not the one I'm holding today mm-hmm. in, in my hands, but that's the guitar on Give Me One Reason. Oh. It's that guitar. That's the guitar that I played on most of the first Nora record. And it's the, really the only guitar I had for a mm-hmm. long time. It's a very New York thing, man, have one guitar. I wish I could just have one guitar. Yeah. It's hard, though, when you juggle gigs and things. But but I've, I, I think that's the only thing I've ever seen you play was a 335. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Over the years, I've dabbled in Telecasters and Strats. That's right, and, Telecaster, yeah. yeah. But every time I do, it's just people always ask me, like, hey, man, where's, where's your guitar? So... Um, yeah, it's pretty much it's pretty much what I'm into. But yeah, do you know that guy near Felder in New York? Sure, I don't know him well, but I've met him a few times. Yeah. He's a one guitar guy. He's got this. He's like, got that Squire Strat or yeah, Mexican it's an, Strat. It's, he's got yeah. a Mexican Strat that he got probably when he was in high school, probably because of I don't know whoever Stevie Ray Vaughan or something. Yeah, and he just stuck to his guns. And yeah, that's super. It's New funny York. he came. It's funny man that you're saying that because Near came up to me at 55 Bar. I'd never met him, and he came to me because you're Shane. 
man, I used to read your guitar column. You know, your mm-hmm. I, I saw a couple of your lessons when I was like 14, and I'm going, oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel when people say that kind of stuff? Oh, they didn't. I, that's like the only time anybody's ever said that. You mean like, um, what, like getting older or something? Yeah, because I know, like, I've met some artists, like, not so much guys our age, but guys like maybe a little bit older, where when you say stuff like that, like, oh man, I've been listening to you since I was 14, oh, yeah. they kind of bristle at it. And to me, it's like. Well, how old are you now? Uh, 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 I was born in 66. So Okay, yeah, uh, you're a few years older than me. Yeah. Six years older than me. But uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I take it as a compliment, I guess. You know, as long as anybody's listening, period, it's good. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The thing that I get a lot is I used to teach guitar at this thing called the National Guitar Workshop, which mm-hmm. happened. There was two campuses. There was East Coast and West Coast. And that was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And I get guys coming up to me pretty regularly now in L.A. And, and around who are like, oh, man, you won't remember me. But I was at the National Guitar Workshop when I was 14, and I was in your class. And But a lot of those guys now are like, Professional, like yeah, they're the they're the guys who are playing all the gigs now. Right. I mean, that's how I met Rich Hinman. Um, I met him when he was at Guitar Camp, and he's out on the road now with Katie Lang, and we, he and I have a band together in L.A. He's toured with Sarah Bareilles. He's on a bunch of records. Um, uh, uh, Zane Carney and Reeve Carney, both of those guys went to this Guitar Camp. Um, I think Brian Green went there, who's, who's a really great LA session guy now. Like, he toured with John Legend and like all all these the, the guys who are like thirty between thirty and forty now. Mm-hmm. Tons of them, mm-hmm. fifteen years ago, went to this guitar camp, and so I love it when people say like, "Oh, you you know," but I was like fourteen because I I still in somewhere in my heart am fourteen. You know, and I like that's the part of me that's most excited about guitar. Oh man, like that absolutely. I I was saying the other night, I want to be, I, you know, the feeling when you're 14 and I I was in junior high and I couldn't wait to get home and like just take my guitar out of the case and play my Van Halen lick or whatever West Montgomery thing I learned over and over. It was like it felt so good. Yeah. I want to be able to tap into that shit all the time like the time. get it even though it's staple center and whatever it's like i want to be able to get that and it's not always there anymore yeah. because once you become proficient and you do it as quote living you know and it's funny man the, like the i see now like a, a couple of days ago i had i had a lunch with uh my guitar instructor from mi when i was here dan gilbert is a great oh, unsung wow. hero um and alan hines who you know these oh, cats man. are like they were they were kind of they were older they're older than me and when I was here I looked up to them like sure. and now we're like kind of peers you know we go to right. lunch and it's kind of a weird thing because you or Scott Henderson you know yeah. like these are cats you look up to and at some point you go well you kind of I don't know if graduate is the right word but you're you're in the club now you yeah. know what I mean yeah and um, so that's what you're talking about I mean those were your students man and yeah. you must have done a great job they're all they're all happening. Well, I'm glad that when they come up to me, most of most of them anyway are guitar players. It's it's not like I'm at Denny's and and the guy comes and brings me my omelet and he goes like, "Hey man, you won't." It's it, it's always <laughs> well, they, in professionals. That, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's really like, you know, the, you won't remember me, but uh, hey, is that unleaded or regular? <laughs> yeah. you, I forget you want. No, it's never that. It's always <laughs> like some dude who's who's on his way to a, a session, yeah. or it's at the airport. Some guy's on tour. Um, 
I say guys, it's gals too. It's just like it's really it's been a, a cool thing to see how many of those young guitar players got serious and and hung at it. And that's really like the only difference, and I'm not the first person to say this, but it's true. The only difference between a professional musician and a non-professional musician is that you just don't stop. You're right. Just, that's it. Don't just... piss anybody off and don't, or don't <laughs> piss too many people off and don't stop. Because, you know, you, you never know, man, when you're coming up. I, I have a friend in New York who used to own a um, jingle studio. Mm-hmm. But before that, he was like a lowly intern getting coffee and stuff. Sure. And he told me, he's like, man, there were certain guys that would come in that you know like yeah. name cats and they treated me like a piece of dirt right. and there were cats that treated me like an equal and they were cool like he goes man i'll tell you two off the top of my head michael brecker and will lee they always came in and they were nice as could be to me yeah. and they were genuine and he goes guess what when i had a jingle studio and i had budgets who would i call not yeah. because they could play their ass off but right. they were cool right you know i've had people treat me like shit and then when i started getting good gigs or like in clicks with sessions right they call me hey man how come you don't and it's like <laughs> well i mean we never really hung yeah. and you were kind of a prick to me yeah. back when like yeah. why would i right i thought you didn't give me the time of day like right yeah that's that's unfortunately i think that's in any uh, profession but it's especially evident in what we do because it's such a you mix an ego with it yeah it's a prescription for uh anyway yeah i'm going off here i want to ask you something to totally break the chain here okay you remember when you played at Sanger Theater with Nora Jones? Mm-hmm. Probably not, but Nor- uh, I wasn't in town, but you graciously got me a couple tickets for my wife. Okay. And she said, <laughs> I don't know if this is true. Whoa. She said, wow, the concert was often awesome, but right in the middle of the concert, I guess Nora Jones was playing like a solo or something, and mm-hmm. a giant roach went across the stage. <laughs> 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 and she stopped and like said wow. something about it. That's uh, Wow. I... I- that does ring a bell, actually. That really does ring a bell, and it probably, in retrospect, would would have been like a water bug, or not like not a. Well, not that's a, a polite way of saying it's a roach. I guess so. A palmetto bug. It's a like, palmetto. No, it's a <laughs> roach, <laughs> <laughs> and it's giant. And that sounds about right. But one of the biggest roaches I've ever seen is here in L.A. When I lived in Hollywood, man, this thing was like a frigging animal. It yeah. was on top of the toilet, and I took a like a plastic ralph's bag and it wasn't a crappy apartment if you're visualizing like a crib it was a decent apartment right and i i bagged this thing my roommate's like man you gotta bag it so i took a Dang ralph's it. bag and i could wow. i could feel it like punching the bag oh, wow <laughs> i don't know why i talk about this i don't like uh roaches and things yeah like that. well man we're just you know the earth we're not the only creatures not. on the earth and uh we have to do i mean we're, we're i live really close to here where we are right now in glassell park and we get we get all manner of crawling things around, and we get coyotes and raccoons. Those pesky and animals. We need to skunks yeah. and yeah. But it's like I know. that's it's where like Doctor John said. He's like, hey, Nelson, they got a right to life just as much as you and me. It's true like story. That's true, Mac. But you also eat, you know, raccoons. Yeah. Anyway, well, what else you want to talk about, man? We, we how long have we been going? Anything else you want to talk about? Man, um, well, I have a qu- I just have a question for you, and this has plagued me. This is probably something I've asked you before, but and, and, and you've even talked about it in a book, but 
like two, okay, two or three years, well, less than two years ago, I got to play with Alan Toussaint. Mm-hmm. My one and only time in my life. Um, he was making the record that became his last record. He actually passed away before it came out. It's called American Tunes. And I got to just play on... They had mostly finished the record, and they had one day... They had booked the studio, so there was like a day left. So the producer uh, called me, and he's like, Hey, we're doing some kind of bits and pieces. Do you want to come play a song with Alan Toussaint? And I was like, <laughs> Yes. Yeah, right, drop yeah, yeah. whatever I'm doing sure. that day. Drop everything. So it was... Uh, Paul Simon's song American Tune and so I I learned to play it and I wound up playing it and it was amazing I got to track live with Alan mm-hmm. singing and he was so full of life and um, I don't think anybody in the room thought he, I mean, it was like six weeks later that he passed I or know, something it's so it's crazy mm-hmm. he said actually when he was on his after after I recorded with him we all sat and listened to the whole record top to bottom and he, he packed up his little valise. He's like, all right, I'll see, see you at the Vanguard. Because the last time he made a record, he did a week at the, the Vanguard. the time I've been mistaken And many times confused Yes, and I've often felt forsaken And certainly misused Oh, but I'm all right I'm all right I'm just weary But anyway, when I first walked in He was um, just warming up on the piano And he was playing Big Chief mm-hmm. And like my dream Can I play Big Chief on the guitar? I've heard it done I mean, I can't do it I was going to say but If, the, if the any rolling. human being can do it I've never tried you. to do it But I've heard it done But um, Wow but Alan did a nice version of Big Chief. And it's funny, I, I got to, to record with him once on a Jesse Winchester tribute record. And it was uh-huh. a, a similar experience. I went in with a nylon string guitar, and it yeah. was just he and I, and yep. we tracked live. And it was really like, you know, I forget. It was like, but it was simple, but, yeah. but this, you know, the finger squeaks and everything's a live mic. And Alan wanted to do the vocal live and everything. So we spent like three hours doing this thing. when he And he was like, well, I mean, you know, you know how he's very yeah. articulate, and sure. and he's like, well, I mean, they're talking about the water, so I need to change my phrase. I'm sorry, let's try it again. Oh, so I wow. played it like pretty good for about twenty times in a row, and then then I screwed up, and he stops and he goes, "It's about time you make a mistake." <laughs> <laughs> but we ended up doing that track, and wow. uh, that was my memory with Alan, and we wow. played a couple of gigs after. But anyway, Big Chief, man, I've heard it done. Uh, I could do if I sat and f- yeah. Ooh, something like that. I don't know, but I could I could figure it out. I've, I've somebody's done it before, but it's like a, it's like an augmented thing, right? Yeah, yeah. But Big Chief is in in E, so that would be a B flat. Right. Let's see. Something like that. So I I don't know, but you could do it. Man, probably sit and figure it out. Uh, okay, you know? next time I see you, maybe when I come to New York uh, next month. See if I can I can get a Go lesson ahead, and we can we can spend spend an hour just working yeah. on that together because 
Around that time when I got to spend a couple hours with him, like I went home just thinking, like I'm gonna throw away all my guitar records and just try to learn as much of of his piano style and and just the, mm-hmm. more broadly, like the New Orleans piano style. Like that's like the next thing that I want to just sit and tackle. It's just how can I turn my guitar into an you know a yeah. New Orleans piano? Yeah. Well, John Cleary's great, man. Check him yeah. out. Okay. You know. But I don't know anything else. Do you no. want to talk about? No, man. I feel like we covered the a big week. chief question. We... I don't know if I answered that correctly, but um, um... well, I learned something. <laughs> you could play one more tune if you want to. Yeah, why don't you? Why don't you start something, man? Um, anything you want, we can we can get out of our jazz brunch hour if you want. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, anything. I don't care. Tyler, do you have any requests? Sing one. Oh, wow, that's an idea. I could sing one. Sure, go ahead. Oh, that's... Oh, okay. Now, now we're talking. Okay, if I sing one, this do you is... want to just wing it? If I I can teach it to you, or you, you want to just do uh, it? Let's just do it. Okay. I may regret this, but... Well, you can edit it out <laughs> if you don't like it. <laughs> the luxury oh, is your shit, show. Oh, shit, you've got the, the raga tuning. Check it so it's honest enough. I see your flying eagle, and uh, you know David Torkinowski in New Orleans. Oh, he's sure, a, yeah. yeah, he he he's got the most colorful phrases, man. And he we'd fin- every. I remember we finished his session one time, and producer goes, "Well, thanks, guys, man. I mean, that was great, and everything." And, and Tork goes, "Yeah, um, I was wondering if we could discuss the uh, methodology of the eagle flying." What? <laughs> Meaning, like, get paid. Oh, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's funny, man. I, 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 the other night, uh, I was at. Um, I want to use this. I haven't figured out what to do with it yet. But it, uh, I was talking with. Uh, do you know Anna Butters, Tyler? Nope. Anna Butters. She plays bass on at the ETA gig with Jay and oh, Jeff yeah. uh, Jeff Parker. Anyway, she's great. She's a, a, a upright bass player she's from Australia. And I was talking to her, and somebody else came up, and he's like, oh, do I detect an accent? She's like, yeah, I have an accent. And he's like, oh, are you from England? She's like, no. He's like, uh, Australia? She's like, yep. She must get this all the time. Mm-hmm. This all the time. And uh, she's like, yeah, it's okay. It's all you know, part of the Commonwealth. I was like, Commonwealth? What? I didn't even know what that meant. And she's like... Uh, She's describing what the Commonwealth is. I'm like, oh, 
I said, is there a queen on your money? She's like, yeah. <laughs> so I want to do write a tune or something called Queen on the Money. Queen on the Money, that's great. Because it could mean anything, but, you know, I, I like phrases like that where, like, in the moment it's specifically, to, well, like, it's Commonwealth, if there's queen on your money. But queen on the money could just be anything. It's it could cool. be anything. Yeah. I like going to, you know, Europe and Japan where they have cool people on their money. Cool-looking yeah. people. Cool, like people who create stuff. Yeah, old-looking people. Yeah, not just like good old boys club of, you know. Um. One of my favorite uh, David Letterman things where he said, top ten things Abe Lincoln would say if he were alive today. And I'm not much of a Letterman fan of the latter shows, but that was some funny shit. And, and it was like, number one, hey, babe, that's me on the $5 bill. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Okay, well, we're, we're just, man. So, um, this so we're is, in D. It's called This Is Our House. Okay. And um, I'll sing a couple verses, and you want to take a solo, and then I'll... Out of the solo goes to the four to the bridge. Um, so that's the only information you probably need to know. Some inflammation. <laughs> this is our house, three little rooms. Ain't too bad when the flowers are in bloom. Don't get much sun, don't get much shade. But this is our house, we got it made. This is our child. Apple from our tree She looks like you She talks like me Someday she'll lead the band In a honky-tonk parade This is our family We got it made This is our house 
got it made This is our house We've got it made This is our think there's anything left to say after that that's a why don't we end on a high point <laughs> all right <laughs> but thanks so much man for doing this it's great seeing you thanks yeah. shane it's a pleasure this mic is lower so i like talking <laughs> 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 but no seriously thank you and thank you tyler and um you know for the great sound that i'm sure this is going to end up being great sounding and uh yeah bro hopefully it's not i don't know years before we hang again yeah let's make a point of it all right well thanks see you next time all right if you're still listening thanks for hanging in there enjoyed that episode with adam um as always i love your comments been getting a lot of comments actually got some great shows coming out have uh, Tommy Malone from the Sub Dudes, uh, David Grissom. Let's see, I don't know, some other people. I did get some emails, not nasty emails, but concerning my Madeleine Peru episode where we talked about France. No, I don't hate France. I love France. It's actually in my blood. It was just that particular trip was a little uh, tiring. I think it was something about air conditioning or something. They didn't want to turn the air conditioning on. It was hot as shit. So maybe that's why France came up, but no. Love France. My two, three, four French listeners. Love you guys. Don't don't stop listening. And um, yeah, the, the iTunes reviews definitely helped me out. If you have any questions, feel free to email. I'll try to keep these going as long as you guys respond. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.